<clears throat> Shall we? Let's do it. Okay. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the fellowship as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. And we're jumping into another thrilling tale of Children of Hurin. But before then, like always, we're going to babble like Butterbur and check in with my brother Seth. Uh, what's going on, man? What are you guys? Uh, what are you guys up to over there in, in Michigan? Well, the weather is finally starting to get kind of nice. Uh, we're gonna go out and check out Dow Gardens again. We've been there a bunch of times. It's a beautiful like botanical garden. And there's a giant forest that you can walk around in and stuff uh, that's maintained by the city. So we're going to go out and enjoy the sunshine today and do that. Uh, I will say, yesterday, Amanda texted me while I was at work and said, hey, they're cutting down two of our favorite trees in the backyard. The city is. Um, Oh, no. Because our property stops at a certain point, but we don't have a fence or anything. And so we right. just have city-owned open space behind us and a forest, which is absolutely beautiful just to sit at the table and eat and look out sure. the giant window that we have. And there's a couple of trees. One of them is just absolutely stunning in the fall. And then this other one, we call it the bush tree, or we did. It's kind of ugly, honestly, but it's where all the like cardinals and blue jays and rabbits mm. and squirrels would like it was like a whole community that would just <laughs> come in and out of that that tree, that tree bush. And so we loved it just to watch all the critters. And I told Amanda, I was like, man, I I this feels like Tolkien in my soul with his mm. um, his hatred of industry towards, you know, uh, at the detriment of nature, I should say, how. Yeah, there's so many themes in his books of trees getting cut down that he loves, and I never really felt that as weird as it sounds. And then Amanda <laughs> texted me and showed me pictures of these trees, these beautiful trees that, well, one of them's beautiful, the other one's beautiful in its own right, but right, yeah. they're just getting cut down. And I don't know if they're diseased or why the city decided to take those two out, but it just, I was like, man. I, I feel like Tolkien right now. I, I am so sad about it. And I got home and Amanda had the curtains closed and I was like, honey, it's still sunny outside. We should open up the, the blinds. She goes, I don't want to look outside right now. Aww. So like it affected her too. It's And I know it sounds silly because they're trees, but it's like those two trees have been a part of since we moved here. So yeah. much of our time has been spent looking out at those beautiful trees and now they're just gone. Sure. So it's weird, but interesting yeah just keep an eye out make sure that they aren't making any like urukai armies uh with with the fuel of those trees or anything like that. i might have to go back into the middle of the forest to make sure there isn't a giant circle cut down and power <laughs> built and a cricket stadium yeah. full of people chanting <laughs> oh boy dang that's oh. yeah that sucks yeah it was just a kind of a weird a weird day yesterday with that but what about you guys i know you've had quite a bit going on yeah, I mean it's it's been a lot. I mean, I mentioned last podcast, which I guess was two weeks ago. There was just a lot of stress with dealing with the foster son and uh, with Ariel being pregnant and everything. It came down to, hey, I need to protect my family. And some of the things that he was doing was didn't feel like we could we could keep him and still be you know feel comfortable and safe in our own home. So we decided to put in our notice, our two week notice, and so he's uh, he's left now and. Not entirely sure where he went. Um, I know where he went initially, but I know it was just temporary. And so I've been trying to text him and just you know say, "Hey, I'm praying for you, man. I'm caring about you. Like, let me know what's going on." And he's not responding. I don't know if they took his phone or if he's just like, "Screw you! I don't want to hear from you," which would be totally understandable, totally fine. He told me that a couple times as we were you know having that conversation before before he left. And so it's been pretty heavy. I think it's been there's been a lot of relief. It's, it's weird. Like it's heavy emotionally, but also relief in a lot of ways, like just the comfortability of your home is back and, you know, we can kind of back on our own schedule and walk around the house and not feel awkward about anything. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. I put, I put a lot of love and care into him and, and I, I hope he sees that. I hope he knows that. Um, and so leaving him was, was really difficult for me, you know, but at the same time, it was like, I, I know for sure this is what I have to do for for Ariel and for our soon to be little boy, our our little son here that we're gonna have in a in a just a few months now. And so, 
yeah, it's a kind of a a heavy past couple of weeks, but I feel good about it. And you know, I feel like God's God's been in it. I, I felt like I was letting him down in in a weird way. You know, I was feeling that guilt and shame of like I felt like God called us to bring him into the home, and then you know, having to kick him out is the word he kept using. <laughs> um, it felt like I was failing, like I was. Uh, letting him down, letting God down. And, and God's really met me in my mess and like, Hey, you did great with him. You know, he was with you for, for four months, over four months, a little bit. And, you know, you were his fifth home in eight months. So you doubled the last four homes of how long he stayed with you. And so, and I just got to believe that something good happened through, you know, his time at church and his time with, with us just, you know, being in the word and being around prayer and being around uh, Christ centered living. So continuing to pray for him and all that might happen with him, but definitely some relief here in, in our home and Ariel's joy levels are, are bouncing back, which is really good because she was in a really pretty dark, dark place there for a while. I think just, just the normal hormones of pregnancy on top of dealing with a 15 year old foster son with his own issues and trying to juggle everything. And, you know, she felt like her entire pregnancy so far has, has been centered around somebody else. <laughs> and she, you know, pretty much told me like I I I know you're just trying to care for him, but at the same time I feel like you're not even there for me at all. And that was when I was like, okay, yeah, I need to I need to protect you. I need to be there for you. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a lot, you know, and it's tough to talk about it again, you know. Once you stop talking about it for a couple of days, it feels easier, but bring it up again, it's like, oh yeah, that was that was really really hard. But Beyond that, Ariel's uh, currently at our baby shower right now with um, a bunch of my coworkers and friends from church and stuff. So, you know, she was getting all dolled up to go out there and I'm, I'm excited to see what she comes back with. We've got a lot of stuff from our baby registry that's been showing up at the door, which is always fun. And and we put the wallpaper up in the nursery. I don't know if you saw that picture, but it's it's uh, pretty I cool. Did. It looks, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Took us like four hours, but looks pretty good. So yeah, we're, we're just now, you know, coming to the end of the semester with work for both of us and then just gearing up for what does it look like to bring a, a child into this world? Baron was kicking pretty good yesterday. We were watching the show and Ariel like paused it and she's like, Sam, she grabbed my hand and like slapped it on her stomach. I was like, what are you doing? Oh, oh, that is so cool. He was just like bouncing around. I don't know if he was like having a dance party in there or something, but he was going crazy. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, that, that's the best feeling in the world. So super super cool yeah that's good i know i mentioned this to you but that letter that you wrote him i don't know if you typed it out and handed it to him or texted it but i'm hoping he holds on to that letter because you know down the road in a few years when he's a little more mature hopefully he's able to look back at that and reflect at it reflect on it and the things you said and i like i mentioned before there's certain times in a man's life where you have to do the hard thing that you really don't want to do that, you know, is best for not only you, but for everybody around you. Yeah. And even if it's not necessarily the best thing for, for the foster son, you know, it's, it's what you have to do to protect Ariel and, and your son coming in. And so I'm proud of you for doing that, regardless of how hard it is. I'm hoping that, like you said, God can use this, that this time that he had with, with you guys and maybe it'll, you know, be a foundation for him to start building off of, but yeah. Yeah. I certainly hope so. It's hard stuff, but I'm, I'm proud of you and yeah. I'm excited for Ariel and just, you know, watching Amanda go through this just last year. It's, you can see the toll that it takes on the women to be pregnant, especially for the first time when they don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it'll be nice to have her or have your focus solely back on her. I'm sure she really appreciates yeah. that. I appreciate you, man. You're, you've been, you and Amanda both have been really awesome and supporting us through obviously through like pregnancy and then trying to get pregnant and um, also through just having this foster son. I mean, it sucks how far away we are, but I mean, I felt like you've been super intentional and in reaching out to me and caring for me. So appreciate you, man. Good. Of course. Wouldn't have it any other way. All right. Enough of the sappy. Let's jump into some riddles in the dark. Come on now. We're men. That's what we do here. <laughs> uh, this is a part of the quotes. That's what we do here. Yes. Uh, this is part of the podcast where we find a couple sentences in our trilogy book of Lord of the Rings and see if the other person can guess 
who's talking, what the context is, and uh, what's going on. So I will go first. Well, that's a warning to us all. It is as well you used a stick and not your hand. Oh, come on. Come on. I know the context. Who's speaking? I want to say it's Frodo speaking to Pippin, maybe. It's, it's when they smack uh, Bilbo's trolls. Right? Mm, yeah. Wow, that was really good. <laughs> is, is that I'm who's talking, impressed. though? Is it, is it Frodo to Pippin? No. Okay. Neither one, actually. I, Really? Okay. Is it Aragorn to Sam? I don't I don't remember. It is Mary to Strider. Oh, that's right, because Aragorn goes up and whacks it with the stick to prove to him that they're yes. not alive. That's right. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who says it, but I know like I'm picturing it in my head. <laughs> so which which book is that? Well, technically it's I guess book one. That's still uh-huh. just the fellowship. Um, I have no idea what that chapter would be called. No idea. Flight, flight to the Ford. It is Flight to the Ford. Okay. Yep. I say Ford. it's after Weathertop, but I don't know. Yes. The chapter name. After he was stabbed. Good job. Right. I was very yeah, impressed. I did not think that you'd get that right off the bat. I was hoping I got something good. <laughs> this one actually, I think, is pretty challenging. So I'll be impressed if you get this one. Great. Yes, we do said Blank sadly. The story seems to be going on, but I am afraid Gandalf has fallen out of it. Hmm. Yes, we do. I mean, just from that that statement, you'd think like that's maybe in Lothlorien as they're talking without because Gandalf had just fallen. Um, or that could be ooh. I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna take a real shot in the dark here and and see if. Is this Frodo talking to Faramir? No, it's not. Okay, darn. If I give you the sentence after, you will get it instantly. Um, Okay, please do. (laughs) What if I I do the one before it? I'll just give you the one after it. Ho, come now, said Blink. Ho, hum. Mm. Ah, well, he paused. Okay, yeah, that's Merry and Pippin talking to Treebeard. (laughs) In uh, the Forest of Fangorn. And so that would be two towers. And I imagine, is it, is it just Treebeard? Is that the (laughs) chapter? Yeah. That's a chapter name is just Treebeard. Just Treebeard. Dang. No, that was good. I, uh, yeah. That's a hard one because there's definitely a few different places in the story that that would, that would fit appropriately. Yeah. No, that was good. That was good. Um, Thank you all for indulging us in our riddles in the dark. I'm curious. Uh, We mentioned this in a, former podcast but if you're playing along with us and you're trying to get us like let us know if you're doing well if you're uh getting them or if you're failing epically like i normally do but uh, otherwise we would uh, normally move on to tidings of the fellowship but i don't believe we have any more tidings um except i do have actually i did get a text from one of our listeners scott marion who do you know do you know scott marion where would i know him from that name does not sound familiar (laughs) <laughs> he i worked with him at Flatirons. he was okay. our our it guy um he's a really I, cool dude yeah you've mentioned him a couple times um yeah. now that i remember or now that you mentioned the it guy um i think you made a joke about what's his face from rings of power looking like an it guy and it it, oh. <laughs> it annoyed him <laughs> yeah 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 the uh um our far so no, I, yeah i don't think i ever met him but i'm glad that he's still listening it's awesome to have you scott yeah, Scott texted me. He said, uh, glad your podcast had released today because it had been like over a month <laughs> since we'd released. Just so, like, hey, you're alive. <laughs> he said, uh, I'm glad you're trying to watch the abs, even with the time zone changes. This is obviously before the abs got kicked out. Rip. Um, <laughs> yep. Great David Goggins reference, he said. And then uh, obviously the cliffhanger of your fostering issue has me hanging out for next week. So there you go, Scott. There it is. Um, he a says not later. Yeah, he says, sure, none of that is really why you have the podcast, but I listen more for your updates than Tolkien stuff. So I, I'll take it. I'm sure we have parties on both sides that don't care about our updates and want to hear Tolkien. And so it's nice hearing the people who like, hey, I care about your life and I care about you. And yeah, you know, Tolkien's a bonus. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for thanks for sending Sam that text, Scott. And thanks yeah. for listening. Absolutely. Again, please to uh, email us at WEC 
podcast at gmail.com if you have any thoughts on on children of Huron. But we are going to jump straight in to, I believe, is this chapter 13? I, I, oh, I don't know. We're doing, uh, yes, chapter 13, which is the coming of Turin into Brethel. So uh, last podcast, we dropped off with, uh, we following Turin to his childhood home, and he went and had that big old brawl, that uh, barroom brawl with uh, Broda, and ended up throwing him across the table and breaking his neck, yeah. and then um, had to watch his his uh, his aunt um, set fire to this this house, this hall, and probably with herself inside of it. And again, he's just seeing all the shadow and darkness and doom following wherever he goes. And so he leaves the group that he was a part of and goes off on his own and wanders around a little bit. So the chapter begins with Turin. He just is having a conversation with himself. He's trying to figure out like where he should go. And so he thinks, Hey, maybe I should go to Doriath, you know, go back to see my mom, Neonor, my sister, my mom, Morwen, and my sister, Neonor. And so he says to himself, this is a direct quote. If the girdle of Melian be broken, then all is ended. Nay, it is better as things be for my wrath and rash deeds. I cast a shadow wherever I dwell. Finally, he gets it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let let Melian keep them, and I will leave them in peace, unshadowed for a while. So he's understanding that okay, if I do go to Doriath, you know, something bad is going to follow with me, or I'm going to do something stupid, and the wrath of of my deeds and the shadow of Morgoth is going to fall upon the people that I love most. And so, then as he yeah has that conversation, he's like, okay, well, what about Fenduilas? Like he he thinks about her, and he's like, yep, I'm going to go, I'm going to go save her. I'm going to go rescue her and take her back and so he he takes off and he tries to find a trail but tolkien says it was too late because all the trails had been either washed by rain or snow and so he was trying to kind of wandering around and he sort he searched the woods under the arid wetheran um and all the all the roads that went north to the pass of sirion and so again we don't know how how far the mileage here or the leagues or you know however he traveled but again it looks like he ran for a good long distance before finally coming uh coming to brethel yeah, and uh, poor turn. I mean, he <laughs> kind of he finally has that moment of self reflection. Like maybe I should just stay away from people I love because every time I try to get in contact with them, something goes bad. <laughs> so after searching for Fenduilas um, along the lines here, uh, he decides to go into the forest of Brethil, which is uh, just kind of. I guess west northwest of Doriath. It's south of the Arid Wetheran. Um, like I said, get a map. It's super helpful. But it's this forest that we talked about. The Men of Brethil actually went and helped fight in the Near Nyeth Arnoidiad at the beginning of the book, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. So the only people that are really left in this forest, and it used to be the House of Haleth, one of the three houses of the Edine. And it's kind of just the remnants. So there's really not a huge group of people. Um, they're very they're very scattered for the most part, but there are little groups, um, but it's nothing like it used to be. And so as he comes into the Forest of Brethil, he starts hearing the sound of, of a fight. And he, he's touring. He, he wants to take any fight he can. Uh, and so he runs to the fight and kind of sneaks around and tries to just scope it out. And he sees a bunch of... A bunch of men surrounded by uh, surrounded by orcs that far outnumber them, and basically Tolkien says like these men are dead unless help comes. And Turin, just being the excuse my language, the badass that he is, <laughs> um, he came sprinting out of the woods and made a huge noise, and he goes, "Aha! Here we find them. Follow me, all out now and slay." And the orcs turned around, they saw him, and the boom of his voice and the flash of Gorthang, his black sword, uh, they knew him. They knew who this was. They knew this was, yep. was the Mormigil, um, the black sword of Nargothrond. And so they were scared. They were like, nope, we don't want any of this. We're dipping out. And so yeah. <laughs> by himself, he just runs out at him, and they take off. The orcs go running away. And um, at this point... At this point, the woodsmen just look around at him and they're like, wow, swift you are, but your men are slow to follow. And Turin actually says, nay, we all run together as one man and will not be parted. <laughs> Which I just love the way he says that. He's like, yeah, I just made a bunch of noise, making them think it was a bunch of people coming in. But nah, it's just me. Um, <laughs> I just what a stud. What a stud. Yeah. When it comes to yeah. stuff like this and like feats of daring and of battle and orc slang, I don't know that there's anybody better. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so the woodsmen join Turin and they they actually go down and they hunt the orcs down the river. And when the hunt was over, the woodsmen, uh, one of the the one that was kind of leading this little company, his name is Doralas, and he's actually a pretty prominent character going forward for, throughout the rest of this book. But he spoke to Turin and he said, "Thanks for for saving us." And he was like, "Man, your valor valor is incredible. What's your name?" And here yet again we see Turin change his <laughs> name. He doesn't say, "Hey, I'm Turin, son of Hurin." Instead of just accepting who he is, he again tries to change his name. Um, yep. And this time he actually says, I am I am wild man of the woods and orc slaying is my trade. So he doesn't even give an actual name this time. It's just, I'm running from my doom. I'm going to say I am a wild man of the woods. Yeah, very creative, man. Come on. <laughs> I know, right? How many, how many names is this now? What are we oh, at? By the end of this book, we'll have to go back and count them and do like a summary because <laughs> it's it's a lot <laughs> yeah um so Doralas, obviously he's like well this guy could obviously help us out so let's let's get him to come stay with us let's take him back to camp and turin actually declines he says that he still has an errand and that errand is to find finduilas and Doralas looked at him and i can just imagine the face that he made when turin said finduilas and, and he looked at him on with pity and recounted for turin an attempt that was made to save Vendulas by Doralas and the rest of his men. Um, he basically describes that there are a bunch of orcs that were going very slowly and um, up the river, and they were going slowly because of all the prisoners from the sack of Nargothrond. And Doralas and his men went down and tried to rescue the prisoners. And um, Unfortunately, as Doralas explains, he says, but alas, as soon as they were assailed, the, the foul orcs slew first the women among their captives, and the daughter of Oradreth they fastened to a tree with a spear. Man. So instead, instead of letting any of the captives go free, the orcs, they knew they were doomed, so they just slew the captives, the women first, they fastened mm. and lost to a tree, and then they died. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it just... It just makes you think how many people, close people to Turin died. And at, at this point in the story, it's been every single one. Um, yeah. Pretty much, except for like Thingol and Melian. I mean, uh, another thing that we're going to have to go back and count is how many close people did Turin lose by the end of the story. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, and also, remember at this point the words of Glaurung when he said to... Turin um, at the gates of Nardothrond, he said, and if you tarry for Fenduilas, then never shall you see Morwen and Neonor again, and they will curse you. So those words must just be ringing in his head, because Turin now knows that Glaurung had lied to him. He now knows that he was under the dragon spell, and if he would have gone for Fenduilas first, he might have been able to rescue her. Um, so that curse... That court curse of Morgoth and even of just Glaurung working or Morgoth working through Glaurung has really—it's just got to be ringing in his head. Yeah, yeah. What a mess. Um, it's it's such a mess. And Turin didn't want to believe Doralas because he's like, "There's no way. There's no way." Um, and Doralas says, "Well, we know this because she spoke before she died." And he said, "When they ran up to her, she looked upon us as though seeking one whom she had expected." Think about that. She yeah. looked upon us as though seeking one whom she expected. So Fendui lost is she nailed to a coming. tree. She thought he was coming. Gosh. And said, Mormagil, tell the Mormagil Fendui lost is here. And and, Fendu- and Dora Loss goes on to explain, then she died, and that was about a month ago. Um, and to her and said, All right, you have to take me to where she was buried or buried, and I I need to see this for myself. Yeah, and when they got there, Turin just looked upon the mound in which she was buried and just laid down, and Tolkien says just appeared lifeless. And so at this point, like the it clicked for the men. Again, they're just thinking this is some valorous, wide, wild man. Uh, but it clicked for them at that time that this was, in fact, Mormigil. You know, this was the person that Fendulas was expecting. And man they they recounted like all the deeds of the mormagill and they thought man this is a this is a guy who is, is strong he is brave like we could really use him like we can't just let him die here because that's what it looks like is about to happen like he turin just kind of fell faint and you know just in this weird stupor like state and 
and so they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take him back home. We're gonna take him back to uh, Brandir, who is uh, the son of Handir, who was the the lord of the land of Brethel at the time. He he died a couple chapters back, so it's his son is now in control. And so, so they pick him up in this like stupor type state, and actually Tolkien says like with a lot of strain, it took them to carry him because this guy's yeah. just jacked again. Like it's just like, jacked. It's carrying bricks. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 struggling to take him out there. But again, I I wonder like what kind of consciousness is Turin in here? Like how do they how I don't understand. I mean, I've never lost so many people close to me, but is he just like giving up on life? Is he's I mean, we've seen this over and over in Tolkien's world where people just kind of give up their spirit and they die. Like, is that kind of what's happening here? Or what do you what do you think is going on? You know, I'm not too sure. Uh, I think it's a swoon like state, um, kind of not much different than when uh, when he found out that he killed Beleg. Um, mm. And I know when he, after he killed Beleg, he was able to walk, but he didn't speak. He didn't, he was just kind of hunched over and just followed. He didn't speak or anything. This time he's, he's like laying dead basically. So it's maybe even that to an extreme. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. really know. Well, either way, he's, he's being born away by the, uh, woodsman and they're taking him to Brandir again the son of the late Handir and when they got to him uh, Brandir looked on Tuard's face and he cried aloud he said oh cruel men of Haleth why did you not hold back death from this man with great labor you have brought back the bane of our people he's pretty much saying like he knows who this person is he knows that he might have some knowledge of the curse of Morgoth like wherever everywhere this person goes shadow and death follow and he's like why didn't you just let him die it would have been yeah. better for everybody even Turin, if you would have just let him die out there in the woods. And but then the men were like, but no, like he saved our lives. He he like ter- terrified a bunch of orcs with just himself. Like this dude is like he's he's strong. He's got a lot of valor and, and we could really, really use him in, in our fight against these orcs. And so Brandir is just kind of like, ah, whatever, you know, what? fine. I can't kill him now. Like, I'm not going to do that. So he actually takes him into his house and he tended him with care, as Tolkien says. But um, Tolkien describes Brandir as, as different from his forefathers. And this is important going through the, the rest of the book. But he says Brandir was not a man of war, being lamed by a broken by a leg broken in a misadventure in childhood. So I guess he was climbing on a rock, tripped, fell, broke his leg in childhood. So now he's hobbling around kind of like Hoppafoot here. Um, but and he was moreover gentle in mood, loving wood rather than metal, and knowledge of things that grow in the earth rather than lore. So he's he's a kind of a tender man, a gentle man. He doesn't care for war, and he doesn't care for you know industry like you mentioned earlier. He loves things that grow, and um, you know you, you can imagine like he knows what's going to happen if they bring Turin in to start you know living and thriving in their community. Is he's going to take up the sword and start? fighting again so these differences are very important later on but uh i'm sure you can guess why yeah exactly and as sam was saying turin is we know what we know what he's gonna do when he finally comes to and i'm sure that being of more soft mood brandir is just kind of like yeah i can i can see with the foresight like how this is gonna end up in one way or another um, so he's reluctant to take him on, but he still does out of, um, you know, the kindness of his heart, but also out of like, we need to protect, uh, this guy and he can in turn protect us. Um, so then as Tolkien puts it at last Turin shook off the darkness. Um, and so he awoke with the courage of the house of Hador and then had an aha moment. Uh, and so he thinks to himself and he says, all my deeds and the past days were dark and full of evil. But a new day has come. Here I will stay at peace, and I will renounce name and kin. So I will put my shadow behind me, or at least not lay it on those that I love. So Turin is doing exactly what he's done in the past in changing his name, but this time he's taking it a step further. He's renouncing his name and his kin. Um, he's mm. renounced name in the past, but he hasn't renounced his kin. And yeah. This time, he's also not just doing it for selfish reasons. So it's almost like that emotional intelligence is starting to develop a little bit. He wants to do it. At least he's not going to lay his shadow on those that he loves. Um, And Sam made a note in here. He's like, who's left for him to love? Like, (laughs) he doesn't have anybody except Morwen and Neonor, but he's renouncing them. Um, 
and so it's like it made me think and i was like well maybe maybe the elves of doria thingle melian maybe beleg or not beleg i'm sorry uh mablong mablong yeah um yeah he really everybody close to him he's lost uh and so at this point turin decides to take yet another name so this is two name <laughs> changes instead of wild man of the woods he now decides to take the name turambar uh, which in the High Elven means Master of Doom. So now he's getting a little arrogant again. He's trying to master his own doom, uh, the doom that Morgoth has laid upon him. And so he understands that doom is all about him, but he's going to try to master it. It's like, all right, buddy, good luck. Um, yeah, in th- this, it hasn't worked for you in the past. <laughs> it has not. And this little phrase was interesting to me, um, just kind of a fun tie-in. Uh, Tolkien says in the High Elven, the name means Master of Doom. In the High Elven, that that is Tolkien's way of saying the language Quenya, uh, which Quenya was spoken by the elves, the Noldorian elves that uh, lived in Amon with the Valar. And so the High Elven language was actually outlawed in Doriath by Thingol when the Noldor came back to uh, back to Middle Earth. And the reason mm-hmm. for that is Thingol d- found out about the kinslaying of Alqualande. We talked about that briefly in an earlier yeah. episode. Uh, and Thingol was like, nope, I, nobody can speak this language in my lands. And so yeah, it just shows associate. the... What's that? You can't associate with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it just shows the depth and understanding that Turin has because he would have grown up not speaking that language. And yet he knows what Turambar means in that language. And I almost wonder if there's another layer to it that he's taking a name in the High Elven because the Valar, that's the language that was spoken in in Amon with the Valar. I don't know if... Mm. Maybe I'm taking it too deeply, but... I don't think there's any possible way to take anything Tolkien says too deeply, (laughs) but I think... uh, What was his... The the elf maiden that grew up with him, didn't she teach him some Quenya? I thought oh, she, eh, she might have. I know Sindarin for sure at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they spoke Sindarin and Doriath. And so I don't know. So maybe, maybe that's what she I thought. Maybe he she taught her some some Quenya, too. But you I, might I be right. I might have to go back and look at that. But yeah, either way, it's like it's interesting to me that he takes a name in the high elven as opposed to Sindarin, uh, which is what they would have been speaking normally. Hmm. Um, so anyways he dwelt with the woodsmen as we've seen before and they grew to love him everybody that's around Turin grows to love him even with all his faults uh and he tried to let go of his past and then his old name but he just couldn't shake his temper his anger his pride and just everything about him is geared towards hating Morgoth and so he still would go out with the men and he would hunt orcs and kind of still like Dorlas and that group of guys, he would still go out and help them uh, in their attempt to fend off the orcs. And so, similarly to Orodreth, if you remember when Turin arrived in Nargothrond, Orodreth initially didn't want it. He wanted to be he wanted secrecy. He didn't want to go out yeah. to open battle. And Turin changed his mind. Brander is of the same mind. If you remember what Sam just said, he was um, more of not weaker of mind, but more gentle of mind and gentle of mood. And he didn't, he wanted to stay stealthy and just keep his people alive. He didn't, he knew there was no chance of beating Morgoth. And so he's like, let's just keep our people alive um, in secrecy. And he basically confronted Turin and said, you need to be careful or else what happened in Nargothrond will happen to Brethil. Um, You think that that would kind of click in Turin's head, but it only clicks so far as to, have Turin put his sword away and not take out Gorthang. He's no longer the Mormigil. Um, so he takes out a bow and a spear to do his fighting with. So he's still going to go fight, but instead yeah. of instead of taking out Gorthang, he takes out a bow and a spear, which, you know, is something because if a messenger gets back to Morgoth that the person with the black sword is there, then Morgoth yeah. is going to pressure that area. But it's still pretty obvious where Turin is if just people surrounding flocking around him all of a sudden the orcs are getting beat back that's just how turin works um and morgoth's no idiot exactly um so turin slayed orcs and wouldn't let them anywhere near the mound of uh where finduilas laid the hadden and howd and eleth howd and eleth there you go howd and eleth yes howd and eleth uh and it was it was known that the orcs would not go there so again turin is just 
this is a place that nobody, no orcs are touching and I will defend it. And that's got to be a dead giveaway to Morgoth, right? Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, it's something that he, again, he, he realizes he was way too, way too late in trying to save Enduilas, but he's, I don't know, maybe this is helping his conscience to just like, I'm going to protect where she lays, um, where right. she's, where her body is, even if I can't protect her anymore. Right. Um, so at this point, Dorlas spoke to Turin, and even though his name was gone, the black sword he is still. And so that's just proved by his actions. And and Dorlas kind of probes Turin by stating that there was rumor that the black sword was actually the son of Hurin. Um, because he's like, all right, this isn't just a normal guy. Like mm-hmm. this he's a step ahead of everybody else. Like, what's going on? And so he kind of he's probing him and by saying that to Turin, Turin actually responds. He says, so I have heard, but publish it not, I beg of you. So yet again, Turin is running from his doom. He's trying to put, you know, his past in the past and keep it there, which never is a good thing. Um, and that's kind of where we leave off with Turin uh, at this point in the story. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. He doesn't seem to have much of a direction at all. Like the last few chapters we've seen, he's just kind of bouncing from place to place. Like, okay, yeah, maybe I was going to go back to Morwen. Okay, she's gone. Okay, I was going to go back to Vindulas. Okay, she's gone. Now I'm just going to like float pretty much. Like, I I know I want to keep killing orcs. Like, I'll keep doing that. But (laughs) other than that, he has no real purpose, it doesn't seem like right now at this point. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like, Tolkien, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say he's very impulsive. Like he's always been yeah, impulsive, yeah. but every decision he's made in the last few chapters have just been super impulsive. And even the one to stay with these, this group of guys, he's just like, yeah, I guess I'll stay here. There's not sure. much thought that goes into it aside from I'm trying to leave my past in the past. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as we see, that just doesn't, doesn't work that way. So then Tolkien actually shifts from uh, Turin and he, we we see Morwen and Neonor for the first time in, what 10 chapters something like that and so uh we uh, are shifted back to doriath where uh, thingle and melian are and uh and so morwen and neonor have been here for a little while now as turin found out from the last chapter and so word of the fall of nargothran had reached the the king thingle and you know he wanted to know what was going on he wanted to know like what happened to the city he wanted to know what's going on with turin because he assumed turin was probably that mormigil that was there but he also heard of like this dragon that had also taken uh, taken out uh, Narcothron. So he was like, I need to fight. I need to figure out what's going on here. I kind of want to figure out, you know, is this going to be an issue we're going to have to deal with here pretty soon? But he also knew like, gosh, Mormon probably knows that this black sword, this Mormigil is touring as well. And I don't want her to really know that he may be dead. <laughs> but no, right. Mormon also heard the tidings and and in anguish, she told Thingle, like, I'm going to go find him. Like, I don't care if he's dead. If I find a dead body, I'm going to go out and find him. I'm done hiding. I'm done running away. I'm done not living life with my son. And so I'm going to go find him. And Thingol and Bo- Melian both counseled her not to. Like, we sh- actually see Melian. She doesn't speak a whole lot, but she you know, tells her, like, yeah, this is, this is not a good idea because you going out to find him is just what Morgoth wants. <laughs> but Melian, or, uh, but uh, Morwen has that same stubbornness that we see in Turin and Yep. just really the the people of Hurin and she's like even if it is I don't care like the fear of Morgoth is not going to keep me from the call of my kin is kind of how she puts it but obviously Morwen wouldn't be swayed and so she said goodbye to Neonor she went and said hey see you later I'm going to go find your brother who you've never met and she got up early the next morning put on you know got on a horse and and she she dipped out so Thingle didn't stay her from leaving. He didn't want her to leave, but he didn't stay her from leaving. But he did send a group of, you know, some of his hardiest men with Mablong the Elf, who we've mentioned uh, many times before, in command of this company to follow her in secret. So, you know, kind of come in after her, make sure that she's safe. If she comes into any harm or danger or anything like that, they can jump in and help out. But they didn't want to necessarily interfere or even have her know that they were following. Um, but also Thingle wanted to know what's going on with Nargothron too. So it's kind of a... Again, that double double-edged trip for Mablong. Make sure that the lady of of uh, Dorloman is safe, and make sure that you know you can figure out what's going on with Nargothrond and the dragon and everything else. And so, Morwen traveled, you know, as far as she knew, and then she came to uh, the shores of Sirion, this river, and she was like, "I don't know where to go. I can't cross this thing, and I don't know how to go around it." 
And so then Mablon kind of shows himself with his company and he's like, Hey, here we are. We'll help you come back to Doriath. And of course she's like, Oh, of course you guys are following me. Like, what are you going to take me back? And you know, they're like, well, no, not necessarily. Like we'd, we'd love to do that, you know, but we're here to kind of help you. And she's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I know you have ways of getting across this river. So show me how, how to get across this river. And so Mablon kind of against his own will reluctantly shows her where they keep the boats. And uh, this is, I think all this is happening kind of like at dusk, right? Pretty much at night Mm -hmm. or, and so, yeah, they, they get in some boats and they start crossing the river. And uh, when Morin looked back, she noticed there was an extra person um, that, that wasn't a part of the company before. And I think she was kind of thinking this person was, was tall in stature and clad and in elven raiment. And she was like, is this another elf that's following us? Like what the heck? But then she realized it was Neonor. And <laughs> Neonor had come. And Morwen, of course, was dismayed. She was just heartbroken because she's like, oh my gosh, you were safe in, in Doriath. Why are you following me? And right. so she says, Go back. Like, go back, go back to Neonor, go back to Doriath. I this is a I command you as your mom. And uh Neonor, I love this. She she plays the Una reverse card on her. <laughs> she goes, I love how you phrase that. <laughs> the Una yeah, she like, plays the card. Nope, can't do that because if the wife of Hurin can go out against all counsel of all <laughs> at the call of Kindred Kindred, then so also can Hurin's daughter. Mourning you named me, that's what Neonor means, is mourning. But I will not mourn alone. Father, for brother, and my mother. So she's pretty much saying, I'm not. I'm not going to be mourning by myself for my father who I never met, my brother who I never met, but most of all for my mom, because that's the one that I love the most. And that's my fear. My biggest fear is losing you. And so I'm not going to be parted with you. And you don't really have any way of like combating this or arguing it because you're saying you can go out at the call of kindred. So then so can I. Yeah, she really throws that Uno reverse card down. (laughs) Uh, And so at this point, the... There's not much more one can do. She's she's been checkmated. I mean, it's game over for this discussion. Um, but it is interesting because Tolkien describes Neonor as tall and strong and of little fear. And he actually says that she was clad in the same gray raiment that the elves were, and that she was she really wasn't that out of place that if it wasn't um for her showing herself or more when seeing that there was more people, they probably wouldn't even have noticed because she fit right in. Because of how tall and strong she was and that um, it was only the strongest and tallest elf that you could tell the difference uh, when she was wearing the cloak. Um, so at this point, Morwen and Neonor, uh, they just keep going back and forth, but like Sam mentioned, it's checkmated and they decide to go along. Um, and the way Tolkien says this, he, she said, or Tolkien says, Morwen saw in Neonor the steadfastness of Hurin and she wouldn't budge. Um, and so like, Hurin's name is Hurin the Steadfast. That's a name that everybody has given him. And so I think it's an interesting tie-in that Tolkien says that Morwen sees the steadfastness of Hurin's daughter. Um, And so at this point, (laughs) I can imagine Mablung's just chilling there like, okay, uh, I'll let you guys sort this out. And okay, so we're all going, all right. (laughs) I don't want to get in the middle of these family matters. Um, So he says out loud just when they both finally decide to come. And of course, Mablong's hoping like, hey, this whole venture's over. We're all going back. We're all going back. No big deal. Um, But when it's decided that they're all still going forward, Mablong just cries out and he's like, truly it is by the lack of counsel, not the courage of Hurin's kin, uh, that Hurin's kin bring woe to others. What is to be done? Uh, So he's basically saying, like, clearly you guys don't lack courage, but you don't listen to counsel of anybody. Um, You're headstrong and you're going to do whatever you want. And so there's a little more discourse between them and they finally decide to go ahead and pursue this errand. And Mablam actually thinks to himself, he says, more do I dread this errand of the king than the hunting of the wolf, which... I love how Tolkien just throws that in there, that little sentence. And if you don't know what he's talking about, you just skim Mm -hmm. through it like, oh, that's strange. But if you understand Tolkien's works, you come to realize that he's referencing the hunt of Karkaroth that he went on alongside Thingol, Beleg, and Baron just, you know, I don't know, 15 years prior or whatever it is, where the biggest, baddest werewolf ever on Middle-earth, they had to go fight and dig the Silmaril out of. 
Yeah. Um, so that's what he's referencing. That. I didn't even make that connection. I'm. I was like just assuming he didn't like hunting wolves. But no, you're, that that's wow. That's really cool. <laughs> Little yeah, Easter egg I, there. Yeah, it's. I, I think the giveaway to me was the capital wolf. Like sure, sure, the wolf, and so he could only be referencing karkaroth in that yeah that um, so i don't know i just thought that was a really fun tie and he's like man i dread this so much that this is worse than going out to battle the biggest baddest werewolf ever to have existed yeah um, yeah man. so at this point uh the the party comes to the woods of nargathrond and and they only see desolation if you remember glaurung destroys the bridge and just sacks the city uh and as they continued mablung really continued to become uneasy he just has this gut feeling that something's going to go wrong he really doesn't want Morwen and Neonor there and he's begging them to go back and he asks Morwen yet again please please go back and she laughs at him and she basically just tells him that hey you'll soon be parted from us I'm sure and then you'll you'll only have to deal with us for a little longer <laughs> so I can imagine that Morwen is just kind of morbidly thinking right now like yeah we're probably going to die soon and then you'll be free of us whatever um and Malblung explained, like, I'm charged with gathering news, scoping out this place, and keeping track of you. And I can really only do one of those things right now. And so he's like, if I'm still leading this company, then you're still going to listen to me. And so uh, he tells Morwen that he's going to take them to what's called the Spy Hill, or Amon Ether, uh, which is a giant mound that has a bunch of trees, and then the top is bare. So it's kind of like a lookout hill, um, mm -hmm. hence the name Spy Hill. And it yeah. was actually created long ago by the, the founder of Nargothrond, Felagund. Um, and from there, they would go to the top of it and decide what to do. And this kind of just triggered, like, um, the, the fel in the Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, Why yeah. Drawing a blank when they all go to... Amonhen? Amonhen. Yep. I, I, I wanted to say Amonrud, but I was like, no, that's where Turin goes. Amonhen. Yep. No, Amon, Amonsul, sorry. Amonsul. Amonsul. Yeah, the, the Watchtower of Amonsul. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of, in my opinion, the same type of thing, which, as we know from Lord of the Rings, the actual story, that doesn't turn out too well either. So I can, I'm can, i sure you can kind of see where this is going. Um, yeah. But at this point, the company halted at the mound, and on it's just on the other side of the river. So there's that giant river that separates the mound from where they're at uh, and the city of Nargothrond. And Mablung decides, okay, I'm going to take a couple of my guys and we're going to go down and do some scouting of my own. And he charges the rest of the men. There's 10 of them, 10 elves. Uh, and he says, you stay with them. And if anything goes wrong, at the first hint of something going wrong, you get them on horses and you all flee back eastward toward Doriath. Um, if just like, even if you have a bad feeling, just run. <laughs> and... Yeah. So he takes a couple of his guys and very daringly they started uh, and stealthily they started creeping towards the banks of Narog, which is that river separating, separating them. Yeah. And uh, we uh, actually will not be finishing this chapter um, because uh, we just both decided there's there's a lot in this chapter that we want to spend a lot of time on, um, but that we just don't have the time to do today. But uh, what happens next is what you might expect. If you remember, there is one rather large being still in Nargothrond, <laughs> and that is the father of dragons, Glaurung. And Tolkien like shifts paragraphs to uh, Glaurung and, and says that he had long been aware of the spies, though few other eyes in Middle-earth would have discerned them. But the glance of his fell eyes was keener than that of eagles, which is insane. Like you yeah. think, I mean, we did yeah. that whole eagles episode. Like they can see yep. through stuff. Like it's, I, I never would have thought a dragon's eyes could be better than eagle's eyes. But anyway, um, his, his eyes were keener than that of eagles and outreached the far sight of the elves. And indeed, he knew also that some remained behind and sat upon the bare top of Amon Ethir. <sighs> so he is well aware of the band of elves he is well aware of who is with the elves as well and uh again we're we're in the middle of this chapter and things are about to ramp up but we're gonna just pause stop <laughs> and leave you on a uh, on a cliffhanger um kind of sort of literally <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> that's i didn't realize that but yeah well played a, a hill hanger a cliffhanger yeah a hill hanger please 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 bear with us for this next episode you won't want to miss it um or if you're reading ahead like go for it send us your thoughts as we prepare for this next episode but 
it's it's pretty great stuff and uh, again just shows there's a lot more at work here even that goes far beyond just turin um, but just the curse of Hurin has uh, has reached far indeed yeah there's there's not much any of uh Hurin's kin can do to escape it it seems even though the story has been focused on turin uh for the majority of it it's clear that Morwen and Eonor have not had the greatest lives either. And um, this next episode's going to really throw a lot of you for a loop. I don't know if Sam's read ahead and understand or read through the chapter following. We'll finish up this chapter and, do, and then do the next chapter. Um, and I don't know if Sam's read ahead into the next chapter yet, but um, I have not. there's, a, f- there's no. a few twists and turns that are going to catch people off guard, I think. Yes, I, I think I know what happens. Uh, just from hearing other podcasts and I think again just knowing the overarching part of the story I think this is where it gets a little weird but um, yeah we'll, we'll talk about it yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, so until then uh, you have to wait and uh, send us aid instead so Gondor is calling for aid we're breaking into the halls of Metaseld and we're shouting Gondor calls for aid will you Rohan answer if you enjoy the podcast please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with fellow friends and fans and please don't forget to like subscribe and leave a review we need some more reviews I can't see them on Spotify if you are leaving reviews on Spotify but I can't see them on Apple podcast so please leave us a review even if it's a five-star review just say hey great job or um, if it's a one-star review say hey you suck whatever it is <laughs> we'll take it um, but yeah please leave a review like subscribe all that good stuff and please share your Tolkien story we have I think like 60 plus uh, people who listen to this on a regular basis just from the downloads and everything we've been seeing on our on our uh, analytics there. So please, if if you're one of those 60 people that haven't sent in a, a token story or any thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. You can send those in to weckpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or again, shoot us a text if you know us personally. But again, you know what to expect from next week. It's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. And uh, the, gla- the, the dragon Glaurong will uh, speak again. But until then, we thank you for joining us for some well-earned comforts. We bid you a very fond farewell. Well.